0: Isn't life remarkable? From the joining of two cells comes division, and revision, and eventually, complexity. In a human embryo at 21 days, the number of cells is multiplying rapidly. And though it is now barely the size of a grain of rice, cradled within this tiny parcel, two small masses, known as endocardial tubes, are forming. With every hour, these two structures are growing closer and closer together. They are almost joined, coming together in the shape of a butterfly furling its wings. Closer, closer, a few more moments and... ...contact. The very first heartbeat. A primitive heart is formed, the very first organ in the body to have formed and function part of a ground floor upon which the rest of the body will be built. And as we'll find, a beautiful engine that sings the music of equations, churns with an almost unthinkable endurance, and hides chambers full of mysteries to be unpacked and explored. But how often do all of these things actually go the
1: way that they should? Normally the heart develops obviously very early in the womb it's actually the first organ that is functioning during normal fetal development and that process is a very complex sequence of events that are regulated over time and in space with a lot of different types of cells that have to be genetically programmed that can also be potentially influenced by environmental factors come together in the right way to form the structures of the heart to actually, in human fetuses, start beating something like 21 days after conception, which is extraordinary relative to the nine-month gestation period.
0: This is Dr. Paul Grossfeld, a pediatric cardiologist and research scientist at Rady Children's Hospital in San Diego, California.
1: There have to be amazingly precise mechanisms. Uh, that enable that process to happen. And if you just step back and look at how complex this process is, I, both as a physician scientist and as a father, uh, just step back and am in awe of the process, of how 99-plus percent of the time it happens perfectly.
0: But then there's that other 1% of the time when things don't go perfectly, when in fact, things can go terribly wrong. It's in that 1% that my family's story begins. On a bright February morning in 2018, my wife Lisa and I pulled into the parking structure of a sparkly new hospital facility here in San Diego, California. Everything in the hospital looked so new, it was as if the whole building beamed of possibility. It was the 20th week of our pregnancy, and we were arriving for a routine full anatomy ultrasound, a usually unremarkable point in most people's whirlwind jaunt into parenthood. We'd later come to realize that this 20-week milestone is for many families a starting point for a much more complicated journey into parenthood.
2: I think the biggest thing that was on my mind that day was that that we were going to have the sex of our baby confirmed. And the doctor had told us previously that she thought it was going to be a girl, but she wasn't totally sure. And so I thought the 20-week ultrasound was a really um, exciting time to have that confirmed.
0: This is my wife, Lisa, reflecting on that pivotal day for our family.
2: I had this vision that we were going to go get a balloon that had either it's a boy or it's a girl and, and bring it up to my parents' house afterwards is, is something that I really wanted to do.
0: Once we arrived at our appointment, initially everything went pretty much as expected, but the ultrasound technicians seemed to be having trouble getting the right angle for their images and asked if Lisa could get up and move around some in hopes that the baby would move and shift their position as well. The technician left the room and I remember laughing together <laughs> as we did lunges across the floor. The mood was light.
2: I remember it was kind of a dark room, and it was also kind of a sweet time. I think we were excited.
0: We still didn't expect what was coming, even when the technician continued to have trouble getting the images that they were hoping to capture.
2: Well, I remember it took three different people to get the photos, and the technician left to get somebody else. who. I think she said she was more experienced and would be able to get the photos and then that technician said, oh we're going to need to get somebody else, so I think we thought, oh we have the most experienced person here getting these photos. And, um, and then I think they said that they were going to go talk to the doctor and that they'd be back. And we waited a long time. But I wasn't too scared. I didn't know, you know.
0: That's when things shifted.
2: Uh, it was the original technician, and she seemed really concerned. And I remember her face was very sad and apologetic. And uh, she said, "I'm, you know, I'm sorry, but there there seems to be some things that uh, the doctor's seeing on the ultrasound that um, we need to look into further, or are concerning." and then she proceeded to give us directions to some building, and, but I couldn't pay attention to that after that, it was just a blur and she was telling us where to go and it was just like everything was hitting us at once, a big rush flood of information and fear and uncertainty.
0: As we met that day with a genetic counselor, we learned that the ultrasound had shown that there was something different about our daughter's heart.
2: I remember her saying that there was a heart defect. And I remember she um, kept saying, "I'm, I'm sorry for this bad news. It was just like everything was hitting us at once. So when you talk
0: about a congenital... That moment changed our lives forever. As we left the medical offices in shock, We were hit all of a sudden with a rush of emotions, and we sat down on a very public bench in the parking lot. We held each other as we both wept. The sun was shining, and cars were driving past on the street nearby. Over the next few weeks, as we met with a high-risk doctor and a pediatric cardiologist, the gravity of our daughter's heart defect began to crystallize for us we learned that she had what is known as a congenital heart defect, and that hers in particular was among the most uncommon and severe of heart defects. We had never heard those words before, congenital heart defect, and it took some time before we really understood what they meant. It is important to understand that congenital heart disease, or CHD, is different than the heart disease that most of us are aware of. Here's Dr. Sanjit Hegde, a pediatric cardiologist and research scientist at Rady Children's Hospital to explain. So when you talk about congenital heart defects, we are sort of implying that uh, these defects happen uh, sometime around the time the heart is forming uh, and the baby's inside the mother's womb. Basically, uh, in the heart, when it was developing, did not develop the right way, it's something that was part of the uh, what we call as the embryology of the heart, the development of the heart itself. This type of heart disease that is built into the architecture of the heart so early on can be the result of environmental factors, but is most often rooted in genetics, which can be the result of changes to a chromosome, or, in our daughter's case, an almost imperceptible change to a single, solitary gene. Remarkably, it only took a change to this one of the almost 25,000 genes in her body to create such a devastating change to the physiology of her heart. And as we learned more about this disease, one thing that struck us was that it affects more people than most of us
1: realize. So depending upon how you define it, it's really by far the most common human birth defect. So. Almost 1% of all infants are born with some kind of a congenital heart defect and at least half of those are diagnosed with by the first year of age.
0: This is Dr. Paul Grossfeld again.
1: If you ask enough, almost every family that you talk to will refer to somebody in their family that was probably affected with congenital heart disease, a blue baby a grandparent that had a baby that died in infancy. And almost for sure when you hear a story like that or of a quote-unquote 20-year-old that dies of a heart attack, well, 20-year-olds don't normally die of a heart attack in the way that we think of. Really what this is an illustration of is the fact that congenital heart disease is pretty widespread.
0: Now, you may think to yourself, well, how does this affect me? 1% doesn't sound like much. But consider this. More than 40,000 babies are born with a heart defect every year in this country alone, a quarter of those with what are considered critical or life-threatening defects. That's like the equivalent of a sold-out crowd of people at Wrigley Field, with every last person in that entire crowd being born and reborn every year with some kind of heart defect. If we step back and broaden that scope to a global scale, the number becomes more like 1.35 million babies. That would be like the entire population of San Diego, California, being born with a heart defect every single year. To put it on a more personal scale, according to psychologist Robin Dunbar, most people's social circles max out at around 150 people. That means, chances are that every person most likely knows at least one or two people who have a congenital heart defect, and likely even more who are affected by it. So as you can see, most people are affected by it, whether they know it or not. Once you take into account the financial costs, which can be in the billions of dollars in the US alone, including ongoing treatment and the lost work of many family members who care for children with more severe defects. And when you factor in the relational and psychological impact of the disease on families, it becomes clear that this is a global health crisis. Congenital heart disease is also the leading cause of birth defect-associated illness and death among infants. And regardless of whether or not a child's heart defect is life-threatening, it is oftentimes life altering for that child and their family. For some, this simply means periodic checkups with their pediatric cardiologist. For others, it might be the propensity to get tired easily, or mild developmental delays, or struggles keeping up in school. For still others, it might mean significant time in the hospital to address their heart defect, or with related illnesses. And for children like our daughter Grace, It can mean multiple open-heart surgeries in the first two years of life and a regimen of frequent doctor's visits and hospitalizations and potentially even the need for a heart transplant. All of these different realities, though at different points on the CHD spectrum, require families to shift their expectations and adapt to a new way of living. And that can be hard.
2: I remember feeling concerned about some of the potential... Harm in terms of like a, a child's uh, emotional state. So I remember it was discussed with us that um, many children with CHD might um, experience PTSD uh, after long hospital stays, intensive surgeries, and I remember uh, feeling some sadness about that. You know that 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 this could be kind of an emotional weight that she would carry for a long time. a lot to comprehend and I hadn't experienced myself any surgeries so I didn't have a lot of context to even process not only a surgery but also what a recovery would be like and especially with something open heart I don't think it was really until we were in the CVICU that I my eyes were really opened to the severity of Grace's heart defect, the challenge of CHD in terms of the surgeries and the recovery, and, and the fact that families do lose their babies and children to CHD.
0: We have known families that have lost their children to this disease much too soon. Babies, infants, and even young adults. And it is tragic and devastating. The hard reality is that every year, twice as many children die from congenital heart disease than from all forms of childhood cancer combined. At the same time, childhood cancer research receives more than five times the funding than that of CHD research. But why is this? Why would research to treat and prevent such a pervasive childhood disease be so underfunded in comparison? One reason may be that the effects of CHD are oftentimes invisible to the casual observer. Some other childhood diseases have very recognizable visual markers of the disease that allow people to identify with it more readily. This relative invisibility of CHD makes it harder for people to even identify those they may know who are affected by this disease. That's why it is so important to raise awareness and to help educate those around us about congenital heart disease. This is especially pressing as more and more children with CHD make it to adulthood and are able to start drawing longer threads through the fabric of our society and as the subsequent need for ongoing care and better long-term solutions for their health grows. I had the great fortune of being personally acquainted with the late author Brian Doyle, who wrote a hauntingly beautiful book called The Wet Engine, about his experience of his son being born with a significant congenital heart defect. In it, he writes, more and more over the years i have become absorbed and amazed at the heart itself the wet engine of us all and how it works and doesn't work and what it means and how we use it so easily and casually as a metaphor for the extraordinary loves and agonies that course through us like muscular raging rivers his book he says is also a sort of prayer That there are such mysterious and incalculably holy things as hammering hearts, and that they power such mysterious and holy and wild things as us. In this and upcoming episodes of One Rare Heart, we will explore what Brian Doyle calls the mad, wild miracle of the heart. And, as he puts it, Wander into the wet engine, and apprehend the miracle, and study the mystery, and be a gog and agape at what has been so wondrously wrought in the meat beneath the bone of your chest. We will also be entering into the personal stories of families affected by this disease, the physicians who care for them, and the researchers who work tirelessly to find new and better ways of making these children and families' lives better. Because, above all else, these are profoundly human stories of hope, and courage, and perseverance. They are interwoven with both the tragic and the miraculous. And while they're sometimes stories of what we've lost, they are also often accounts of what we've gained in the midst of that hardship. What was true for our family also reverberates across so many other families' experiences, that the diagnosis of a congenital heart defect in your child is hard and challenging and can have far-reaching effects on your daily life and also on society. But sometimes, that difficult shift in paradigm can also come with an unexpected richness.
2: There's so much growth and, and perspective and open-heartedness and kindness and empathy that's been bestowed upon us through the gift of our children. That is something that I'm very thankful for and, and feels like a gift from Grace. I I tell her all the time, you do hard things, Grace. You do big hard things. And she's so strong and Tender and sensitive and watching her persevere helps me, you know, to also have more grace for myself. She's taught me that you don't have to be perfect to be loved. Because her body is both perfect and imperfect and she can do no wrong in my eyes. You know, I just love her to pieces with all of her lovable traits and all of her imperfections. uh, She's opened my eyes to have a lot more generosity both for myself and other people.
0: Children with congenital heart disease have been dubbed heart warriors by the CHD community, and no other description would be quite so apt. These children truly are warriors, tiny people who battle through so many challenges, surgeries, and difficult experiences that many of us will most likely never experience or understand ourselves. They teach us so much about both fragility and fortitude, and their strength and courage and perseverance should inspire the very best in us all. There have also been so many acts of heroism by surgeons, doctors, nurses, and researchers to save the lives of these vulnerable children and to advance research and care, but there is still so much work left to be done. Please take the time to visit onerareheart.com to see how you can get involved, support CHD research, and help raise awareness about this vitally important childhood disease. All of the music you've heard today are my original compositions, with the exception of the song you're listening to now, Heart of Mine, by my friend and amazing artist Aaron Bodie. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Darren Racer, and you've been listening to One Rare Heart.